Last week, I introduced the sermon by stressing that I didn't want to spend that passage focusing on hammering hard at the culture around us and the things of the world, but more to focus on our actions and our behavior. And we are in a similar place with today's message from Proverbs chapter 29, because uh, these verses that we're going to look at speak directly to our country and to the times that we live in. And the focus of this passage, overwhelmingly, you know, as you put it all together, is a focus on justice and right governance, you could even say. How do... Uh, how should a country be governed? How should a people within a country live? And what are those things that elevate and support and keep a country established? And what are the things that destroy a government? And these are the, the, this is what we're going to be looking at this morning as we, as we look at the need for justice for all, which is a phrase we are all probably very familiar with, with justice for all, right? How do we get that? We don't get it through a country, unfortunately. It doesn't just come because you have a set of laws, and it doesn't just come because you have founding documents. It comes through an adherence to the one who is the creator of all things. And that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to look at... at these uh, verses in groups together. We're going to begin at verse 4 and and look just from uh, 4 through verse 7 to begin with. This passage, like many of them that we have seen, it kind of is bookended from 4 and 14, and so we'll see that as we wrap it up. But in verse 4, Solomon begins, The king gives stability to the land by justice. But a man who takes bribes overthrows it. A a king gives stability to the land, to the people that are there. When When you live under a king who rules by justice, by giving a right answer, he stabilizes the land. People know how to behave. People know the right ways to behave that are rewarded. But a person who takes bribes overthrows all that stability. They, they literally, the, the, so stability is to stand, overthrows to throw down. So literally, the, the king who gives stability, he allows the nation to stand through justice. But somebody who's willing to take bribes, and to take bribes means to thwart justice. You know, if you, if you have a business and you're trying to figure out who is the best company to supply the things that you need, if you take a bribe, you know, somebody pays you to buy their merchandise, you might not be getting the best stuff. If anything, the person who gives you a bribe, they're giving you a bribe because they know they don't have the best stuff. People who take bribes subvert justice. People who are willing to take money, and especially when you think about a king or a ruler or a you know, senator or a vice president or even a president who would take a bribe, they are going to destroy the nation that they rule. They're going to destroy the nation that they serve. They're going to literally throw it down because now we're not operating on an equal um, field. 
Now those that can give enough money can buy justice. And, and we see this readily enough throughout our culture and our country. Those with influence get a different kind of judgment. They have a different experience at court. This has been a complaint for decades. This isn't something that just started happening. This has been something that has been going on in our land for a long time, that if you're the right kind of person, you get different kind of justice. All that has happened in our land, if you've just now noticed it, is, is that the type of people that get the right justice and the wrong justice have changed. And so now you're aware of it. That's all that has changed is just the players. But right at the beginning, stability of a land comes through justice. Verse 5 tells us that a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. False flattery goes along with the idea of a bribe. You know, those that will falsely do something, and now they are falsely giving you flattery, but what is their purpose for the flattery? Well, they're setting you up for something. They're spreading a net for your steps that they might catch you. That idea of the net for your steps is carried on in verse 6 by transgression an evil man is ensnared. To, to be ensnared means to, to step in a trap, to step in the net. By his transgression, an evil person ensnares himself. He causes himself to be trapped by his wickedness, by his sin. Alternatively, though, we see that the righteous sings and rejoices. And the idea is, is that they, they celebrate the fact that they avoid the snares that come with bad behavior. If we live in upright ways, we're not going to trip ourselves up. If we live in upright ways, we're not going to be trying to ensnare somebody. We don't have to flatter people if we're honest. And so what we're getting here is a, a, a contrast between those who do rightly through justice and those who would overthrow a country through bribery, through flattery, through wickedness and transgressions and sin. Finally, in verse 7, we are told, the righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such concern. The righteous person, and going back to the very beginning of verse 4 with the king who establishes justice or stability through justice, the righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. What does that mean? The poor people in Solomon's time were the people least able to defend themselves. The, the, the Mosaic Law speaks regularly about treating the poor fairly, not giving uh, judgments to the rich that are favorable to the rich, but treating the poor justly and equally. The righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor because the righteous person is going to be concerned for the rights of the person who is unable to defend themselves. The people who are the most uh, vulnerable in a society who can't speak up for themselves, who can't defend themselves, they just get run over in a wicked society. So a righteous person is concerned for the rights, for, for justice to come. The word rights there literally means judgment. So they're, they're concerned for a good judgment, a fair judgment for the poor, for the people who are not able to, to defend themselves. And, and we see this throughout, that a, a righteous country is going to be caring for, and what, is, what does James tell us? What is true religion? But to visit widows and orphans in their day of need. Right? 
to be worried about those who cannot defend themselves, orphans and widows that need other people to defend them, to step in the gap for them. That is true religion. And so righteous people are going to be concerned about those things. When, when you have countries like Canada, who just recently, in the last couple of years, legalized euthanasia, and they said, oh, this is only going to be for people who we can already tell are dying. They're already dying. This is merely something that they can choose so that they can go peacefully without all the pain. And yet what has come out of Canada in the last just a year, tens of thousands of people, mentally disabled, physically impaired in one way or another, whether they feel the desire to or not, are being killed legally by doctors. We saw this 20 years ago with Carrie, uh, not Carrie Shavo, Terry Shavo. Do you remember her? She had a, a, an injury. We, we call it vegetative state, although that's, that's not very kind to people. They are not vegetables. She, she responded to her family. Her mother and father wanted to care for her. Her husband wanted to move on with his life. And so he wanted her to die so that he could go without her. And, and there was a big court fight. And, and, and we get into the situation where we want to get rid of things that are, and people, unfortunately, that are inconvenient. But the righteous is concerned for the rights of the ones who cannot defend themselves, who cannot speak for themselves. So righteous are, con are concerned for the poor because the poor cannot speak for themselves. They can't defend themselves as well as the wealthy. The righteous are concerned about children who cannot speak. The righteous are concerned about the children within the womb. The righteous are concerned about the person who is elderly that people just want to shunt aside and forget about. The righteous are concerned about Justice for the one who is physically unable to speak for themselves. We are not able to say, oh, what is the quality of her life? We don't know. She can't tell us, so we must be caring for her. And it is an unrighteous country. It is an unrighteous people who think the best thing to do is get rid of this inconvenient person. Let me ask you, what do you see in our country today? Are we a people in America, who care for the poor, who care for those who cannot speak for themselves? Or do we give preference to the rich? Do we give preference to those that we can see we can get some benefit from them? And if you don't have the ability to benefit us, we just want to get rid of you. Where do we stand as a people? Being this land established in the freedom of religion, established by believers, though not a Christian nation, a, a nation early on of believers. Where are we today? We want to talk about justice for all. You don't have justice. You don't have justice without caring for the rights of the poor because true justice cares for the defenseless. True justice provides justice regardless of what I can get out of that person. True justice, if anything... Uh, does not benefit itself. You know, the, the king gives stability to the land through justice, but a man who accepts bribes overthrows it. The, the person who accepts bribes, they're looking out for number one. They're getting ahead any way they can. 
There, there is a problem when people can go into government and become wealthier. Now, get, making some money isn't a bad thing, and they, I think they make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year uh, in government. Uh, that should be enough. But somehow they become millionaires. How do they do that? Are we better off because of it? People who are willing to accept bribes will thwart justice. They don't care about those that are defenseless. You don't have justice for people in the land. True justice cares for those who can't speak. True justice cares for those that are other. I remember as a kid, you know, uh, ACLU, freedom of speech things, when they were burning American flags and people got upset. But then it was, hey, you know what, this is, this is speech. And so those that disagreed said, okay, I'll accept that. And even though I disagree with that behavior, I'm going to defend their ability, their right to behave in ways I disagree with. Because you have to care about the, the other person. It's, a, it's the same thing when I was in, in Richards. I would go to the school. I would go into the cafeteria and I would just visit the kids on a Wednesday, you know, just to, to be out in the community. And one of the ladies in the church said, oh, you know what? You can, I, I had some things for the kids to hand out that came to our church. And she said, well, you can just post that if you want. And I said, no, I can't. I said, you don't want me to do that. Because if you allow me to do that, you've got to let everybody who has any kind of beliefs come in here and do the same thing. It's one thing for the kids to do it. And I can give this to the kids and they can post it. But you don't want me posting it. Because if you let me post it, then you've got to let the Buddhist post it. You've got to let the Muslim post it. You've got to let all the different people that you may not agree with as you agree with me. And, and that's, that's true justice. Caring about those that are other than us. We might even disagree with their viewpoints. But you've got to defend them. And we have gotten to a place, unfortunately, where we don't have that same care for one another in America, do we? Now we just want to shut the other side up. You've really lost the argument if your answer is shut up. That's all we're going to say about that. If we can't have dialogue and care about the rights of those who need to, to be able to, to live, the defenseless. I think we see this in America, you know, uh, back in the 50s and 60s, we had the civil rights movement and the marches. And uh, a lot of the, the, the people that were like the, the, the sheriffs and the, the police chiefs and the mayors of those towns that those marches were going into, their attitude was, you're agitating and making this bad. But the people who were marching were saying, you don't give us justice in the courts, so we're coming to the streets. If we cared about, if, if we as a nation, all, all those years ago, if we cared about the defenseless, the ones that didn't have the ability to speak up in court, the ones that weren't able to vote because we had so hindered them, if, if we actually cared about them, so many of the problems that happened wouldn't have happened. True justice cares for the defenseless, for the, especially for the person who is other than us. It's easy to care for the people that are like us, but what does Jesus call us to do? Love your enemies. Love those who are different than you. Talking about the civil rights movement and marching in streets, that moves into what we're going to see in the next four verses. Verse 8 tells us, Scorners set a city aflame. Scorners set a city aflame. But wise men turn away anger. What have we seen in our country in the last three years? Longer than that, really, but if we just 
narrow it down to 2020, there was a lot of uh, cities set aflame. And then, of course, 21, we had the movement on the Capitol on January 6th. And if you disagree with the one and don't disagree with the other one, there's a problem because it was all the same behavior. Scorners set a city aflame. Wise men turn away anger. Wise men do not stir up the anger. Wise men turn away anger in themselves and in people around them. They're able to keep things calm, not stir up the animosity, not stir up the hate for our brothers. Do we have any wise men out there today? Are there any wise men on TV today? Are there, or women. I mean, it could be women too. Are there any wise people in Congress who are somehow turning away anger, not stoking the flames that set a city aflame? Verse 9 tells us that when a wise man has a controversy with a foolish man, when a wise person and a foolish person have a disagreement, have, have controversy, the foolish man either rages or laughs, and there is no rest. It is very hard to have debate with a fool. It is very hard to have a disagreement with a foolish person. They're either going to rage and get angry, or they're going to laugh at it. But you're not going to have rest. You're not going to have peace as long as you're trying to work in that situation. Verse 10, so 8, 9, 10, 11 are kind of these parallel verses where 8 and 10 to go together and 9 and 11 go together. So 10 takes us back to the idea of setting the city aflame with men of bloodshed hate the blameless. But the upright are concerned for his life. Just like uh, in verse 7, the righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor, the upright are concerned for the life of the blameless. But men of bloodshed hate the blameless. People who want to stir things up, who want to destroy, hate those who create and who keep peace. It's a a strange thing that we have seen in our country. Those that would riot who no justice is brought to. But those who would maybe defend property. Those who would maybe just videotape and report on the rioting are attacked and beaten and treated as if they have somehow committed a crime. I remember in 2020, uh, a man was trying to, he, he was standing outside of a friend's jewelry store, and he was shot and killed. He was a retired police officer. He was just trying to help a friend out, do some security. He was there to, to keep peace. Men of bloodshed hate the blameless. Are we concerned about the life of the blameless? Are we willing and trying to turn away the anger, or do we just stir it up? Are we more along the lines of the men of bloodshed? Verse 11 tells us, like verse 9, about the foolish man raging and laughing, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. I hated this one as a kid because, boy, I lost my temper a lot. And that told me I was a fool. It still tells me I'm a fool today when I lose my temper. A fool always loses his temper. You might not always lose your temper. That might not make you a fool. You might lose your temper from time to time. But a fool always loses his temper. 
a, a fool will get hot and angry and mad and stir up things. They'll laugh or they'll rage. But a wise man turns away anger. A wise man seeks to have rest and peace. A wise man, an upright person, is concerned for the life of the blameless. And a wise man holds his temper back. So we see that there's this contrast between those who go instantly to violence and those who can deliberate. And even though they're angry, they can hold it in check. They don't lose their temper just because they're upset about something. Their passions do not rule them. And to have justice, we have to be able to control our passions. And wise people control their passions. This, this is how we got created as a country. Not just on the battlefields, but in Congress. In the Continental Congress, as they came together, you had people who had different ideas and different beliefs. You had people that thought, we've got to stick with England. We've got to repent and, and ask for forgiveness from the king. And you had people that were saying, it's too late, we've got to press on. They didn't beat each other up. They controlled their passions. They channeled their passions into debate. And they formed the Declaration of Independence. And when it came time to try to decide how all these different states, these national sovereignties, were going to join together and become united, there were a lot of different views. You had north versus south. You had big state versus small state. They didn't fight. They controlled their passions. And they debated. And they came to a conclusion. And they settled on the Constitution. And as we have been a good nation, as we have done well, even though we have got different opinions and different ideas, we have been able to come together and talk and to control our passions. And what do we see now? There is no control of the passions that enrage people. There is no ability to talk with those that you disagree with anymore. Not on the large scale. How can we have justice if we are not willing to control our passion? This is what court is. Have you ever thought of why the judge in court wears a black robe? It is because they are removing themselves and they are standing for the people to bring justice. Whether they like what's going on, whether they agree with either side, they are not supposed to. They are supposed to control their passion. And consider the facts. When we go on jury, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to control our passion. And listen. And determine based on the law. Based on the facts. Not based on, oh, I like that person. Oh, I don't like that person. Or, I know those kind of people. I remember knowing a guy like that 20 years ago. I bet you he did it. There was no justice if those of us in the country who are wise cannot control our passions. And if we look, we will see that very little passion is being controlled today. It's being enraged. It's being stoked. Cities are set aflame. Even last night, yesterday in D.C. Where are we headed? Scripture tells us we're not headed in a good way. Justice comes for caring about those who are defenseless. 
above and beyond those that we are closer to or agree with the most. True justice is caring for the defenseless. True justice requires us to control our passion. Be angry and do not sin, the New Testament tells us. Control the passion. Finally, though, in, in verse 12, the idea of the ruler, you know, the, the king giving stability to the land. Verse 12 tells us again, if a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all his ministers become wicked. If you've got a ruler who listens to, the, to, to, to lies, what's going to happen? All his ministers are going to become wicked. I was reading, I think I've shared it in the past, but I was reading a biography on Martin Luther King Jr. And it was talking about how um, the head of the FBI, Hoover, hated Martin Luther King Jr. And so he was expecting his FBI agents to bring him dirt on Martin Luther King. And when they wouldn't bring him dirt, when their report said he's not having any contact with any known communists, he's not doing this, he's not doing that, Hoover didn't like that. And he sent those reports back down. Guess what happened? All of a sudden, he started getting reports that said what he wanted to hear. He started getting reports talking about that Martin Luther King was doing this thing and Martin Luther King was doing that thing. Things he wasn't doing, but things that, his, that the FBI agents knew Hoover would accept. If a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all his ministers become wicked. The FBI became wicked in that sense. They only sent him what he wanted to hear, and he wanted to hear not the truth, but what he wanted to hear, falsehoods. So if you've got concerns about the FBI today, and if you're thinking the FBI's got problems today, let me uh, let, just let you know, it's nothing new. All that has changed is who they're reporting on. All that has changed is who is in their crosshairs and who they don't like. But they're still acting the same old way because a ruler pays attention to falsehood, his ministers become wicked. And as long as we have rulers, whether they be in Congress or the Senate or even in the White House, if they listen and pay attention to falsehood, we're in trouble. If they cannot tell the difference between a truth and the lies, and especially if they seek the lies, they're going to get what they seek. But we, we know that there is one who is above all of them. Verse thing, 13 tells us, The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. The poor man and the oppressor. The one who would oppress the poor, those that are unable to defend themselves and to fight back. Those that are, are just trying to survive. We might overlook them. They have something in common. And what they have in common is that God gives the light to the eyes of both. He illumines them. The idea of God giving them light is the idea that they live by God, that, that He has given us the ability to see and to live. But it also has the idea that He gives us understanding. He gives us the knowledge of the truth. Whether we are willing to listen to it or not is another thing entirely. God gives it to the poor and the oppressor. So the oppressor has even less defense for their behavior. Because down deep, down deep, we all know what is right and what is wrong. And we tell ourselves that when we do wrong, we're doing it for good reasons. 
When we are doing wrong, we're doing it for the right result. And so we justify ourselves. But down deep, those who are wicked today, those who are doing the wicked things, God has given them insight. They see. They have to work really hard to blind themselves to it. But they see. We're encouraged in verse 14 that if a king judges the poor with truth, again, a focus on the poor. If a king judges the poor with truth. Just as earlier that the righteous is concerned for the judgment of the poor, if a king judges the poor with truth, doesn't listen to lies, doesn't listen to falsehood, but listens and operates in the truth, especially for those who are the least able to benefit the king. They're the ones that aren't going to give him anything. They're the ones that aren't going to enrich him in any way. It is grace. It is mercy. It is caring for those and doing right by those who cannot repay you. If a king judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. What we see in these verses is is that ultimately God is the foundation of justice. If we want justice in our land, if we want justice in our lives, it comes from the enlightenment that we receive from God and from the way He has treated us, that He blesses us. We cannot do anything to bless Him. We can't repay Him. We can't benefit Him. It is a one-way street with God. He gives. We receive. And when a king treats his people like God has treated that king, when he loves them and gives them justice and listens to them and works in truth, his throne will be established forever. How does a throne get established forever unless it is established under the Lord? Unless it operates the way God would have it be operating. The king gives stability to the land by justice. And the king that gives justice to the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. That's stability. If you look and you feel like we are in a storm and we are on shaky ground and it feels like at any moment we could topple or we could slide off or we could fall, there's a reason for that. And it is because for way too long there has not been justice in our land. It didn't just start 20 years ago. I think if there's anything, there's a, the fact that we used to at least seek to bring justice. And somehow we have lost sight of that. I think we have lost sight of it because as a nation we have tried to blind ourselves to the enlightenment that we have from the Lord. And without God above us, we make ourselves God. And now there is no stability. Because we don't operate justly. We seek to receive the bribes. We don't care about the the just cause of the poor. We only seek about those that can benefit us. And we're just going to keep going until it all is destroyed. The only way to have justice for all is to seek the Lord. The only way to have justice for all is to operate in truth based on Him. I I see this in in debates in in the Southern Baptist Convention right now. I I know that you all just eat up all the news about the Southern Baptist Convention because it's so exciting, I know. 
But great harm has been done in churches within the Southern Baptist Convention, and great harm has been done by the Southern Baptist Convention itself in its treatment of women and young men and children who have been abused within its churches and by its missionaries. Instead of saying this is bad and, and exposing it to the light, there were people who were in power who covered it up and hid it. And now that it is all coming out, now there are people who are saying it's going to bankrupt us. They, we have to keep justice from happening in this person's situation so that this great monstrosity of the Southern Baptist Convention can continue because otherwise you'll take all of our money away and you'll bankrupt us. That, that's not an attitude of care for the poor. That's not an attitude that says I trust in God for my future. That's an attitude that says God can't do this without us. And so we have to put aside justice so that we can survive. It's not just a nation. The churches can do this kind of a thing as well. But no, God is the, God is the foundation of justice. We need to trust in Him that even if it completely bankrupts us, He is our security, not the finances of the Southern Baptist Convention. And the same is true as believers in America. There's a, the feeling can be, we, we have to play the rules by the, the way the other people are playing it. We can't follow God's ways. We need to do that stuff. And again, our focus is on what are we doing? How are we getting ahead? Who can help us? Not making sure that justice is established for all people and trusting in the Lord to protect us. Justice for all comes from caring for those who cannot defend themselves by focusing on God's guidance and His enlightenment for us. I want to invite us and encourage us to seek this in our lives, to pray for it. As we are coming into an election year, Seek those who would be running for an office that do not operate by bribes. They do not operate by seeking justice for those that can benefit them, but that care for the poor, that care for the defenseless, and who seek to treat all equally and fairly. And then let the chips fall where they may. But seek justice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and for the fact that You you do not give us justice in our lives. You have saved us through Your mercy. You have cared for those that cannot defend themselves. You have placed Yourself in the path of our judgment through Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we would trust in You that we would look with compassion upon one another and especially those who are different than us. Maybe they think differently, they have different motives, they have different political views. May we care for them more than the people that share our views. We pray, Lord, that we would love them as You have loved us. We pray, Lord, that we would remember that You are the one who has given light to all of our eyes. Help us to trust in You. 
We pray, Lord, that we would hold our passions in check. That believers throughout the country and even the world, we would not run off into the streets as others do. But that we would speak from wisdom. That we would seek peace. That we would care for the rights of the poor. We ask this for our nation and for the world, for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.